1: Right, My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Emily Miller, your home in Newburgh. It's July 20th, 2021. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, first question to get the ball rolling is, why wine?
2: Yeah, I was expecting that one.
1: <laughs> um, people always do. <laughs>
2: uh, it was. I always like to tell people it was just kind of an accident. I fell right into it. Um, so I grew up in San Luis Obispo, California, in a little town called Templeton. Um, you know, kind of an up-and-coming wine region now, but. Growing up, it wasn't really something I was aware of. Um, And I got to, you know, the time for applying to colleges. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, No concept of an idea of a career or whatever. Um, My dream was actually to go to Portland State University to follow my best friend. Uh, It Just sounded like fun. But we had Cal Poly just down the road, about a half an hour south of us. My mom requested that I apply there because she wanted me close by. Um, Cal Poly makes you declare your major when you're applying, so I was kind of going through, scrolling through what seemed interesting. I mean, I had applied to physics for one college, you know, English for another. I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, And I got down to the bottom of degrees and there was wine and viticulture there. And for whatever reason, you know, 18 year old me was like, oh, this will really show my parents. It was kind of like this weird act of rebellion, I guess. Um, And so I applied as a wine and vit major got accepted. Uh, Luckily, my mom sat me down a couple weeks later and was like, this has everything you've ever wanted in a job. You'll always live in a beautiful region. You've got the opportunity to travel, opportunity to talk and interact with people all in the industry and work with plants, a little bit of science, a little bit of physical labor, all the things that I didn't realize I wanted in a job, but kind of came right together perfectly. So I went to Cal Poly, started my wine and viticulture degree, even after the first year, I still wasn't really sold, wasn't sure if it was what I wanted. Um, so I was kind of looking into transferring into just a more general plant biology degree. Um, my sophomore year of college, I got my first harvest internship and I worked with Rhoda down in Templeton, California. Um, and it was like two weeks in, I was driving home, totally exhausted, totally sticky and sweaty. And I just had the biggest smile on my face. And we were like in the middle of a heat wave, like. It was a brutal vintage. I had broken my leg a couple months before, so I was doing these like ridiculous slopes with like a, not a cast, but a brace on my leg and just dying every day. And I was driving home like, God, that was a really good day. And that was when it just stuck. It was like, here we are, found the right thing. So stuck with it, here I am.
1: For the formal part of the, edu- of the education process, tell me about mm-hmm. your experience at Cal Poly, and, and we'll get to talk about the harvest in a second as well, but I'm mm-hmm. curious for the formal part of it, what, what was the experience like and, and what did you kind of gain along the way in terms of interest and experience?
2: Um, Cal Poly was great. It was a great education, I think. Um, their big motto is learn by doing, and I think the best thing that they do for you is require an internship no matter what you know concentration you're going into, whether it be vit, analogy, or wine business, you're required to work in a winery at some point during your education. And I really think if it wasn't for that first um, harvest experience, I don't know if I would have stuck with the degree. And having that practical experience is really what kept me through. And I ended up doing a harvest every year for my last three years of college. And it's really what pushed me to stay with the industry and help me feel connected and help me feel like I wasn't just getting an education in something, but I was joining a community, and I mm. could feel that community in my area, which I think was the biggest thing for me. Um, yeah, they've got a vineyard on site, they've got a working winery on site. You know, I got to get into a little bit of the research side and my senior project, which was super fun. Um, they've got some really amazing professors on staff right now. Fortunately, they didn't join on until I think my junior senior year of college, so it was, kind of a bummer because I feel like the program was really kind of growing in a really great direction. There was going to be a lot of potential, a lot of growth in that particular department, and I think they're going to develop a really awesome program
1: moving forward. So let's talk about the, the internship part of it. Tell me about um, what you were expecting perhaps out of an internship, or what were you looking for out of an internship, and what was it that appealed to you as you as you started working in it?
2: I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I had only done my first year of college, so you know I had basic general ideas of concepts and ideas of what winemaking looked like, and it all sounded really cool, but I'm a really like kind of visual hands-on learner, and so it was difficult for me to conceptualize all of these things without getting into it. Mm-hmm. So walking into my first harvest, I like had all of these kind of ideas of what these words meant in my head, but not an actual idea of what that was going to look like and how it was going to come together so it was really fulfilling for me to get into the cellar and finally kind of experience some of the things that i was learning about and it just was that perfect marriage of like you know reading it in a textbook and then actually doing it myself and gaining the understanding of what was going on and you know the physical part behind all of the conceptuals which was great Um, but yeah i i didn't know anybody that had worked in wine you know i had friends whose parents owned vineyards and stuff but I had never talked to them about it, never learned any part of really what went into winemaking. So, walking into that first harvest, all I knew was that I was going to work as hard as I could, you know, and try to learn as much as I could. And so that was kind of my mentality, was ask as many questions as possible and just see what I could get out of it and see if it really clicked. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I was, you know, kind of thinking about changing my major and I was like, so, you know, we're just going to run into it head first, see how it goes. If I like it, I like it and it'll stick um and it did so i had i really had no expectations of what i was getting into and it was definitely more brutal than i think i was anticipating in a lot of ways but i had i worked with a fantastic assistant winemaker there and the head winemaker there was you know both of them were great and i developed really good relationships with them right off the bat and they really were instrumental in kind of taking me under their wing and you know, providing me with the answers and the education that I was hoping to get out of them mm. that made it more worthwhile.
1: Tell me about the, the biggest things you learned. What were your biggest takeaways from First Harvest?
2: Oh, my biggest takeaways. Um, let's see. I think it would just be, you know, to keep pushing and to keep asking questions. I learned the most from all of the questions that I asked. Um, a lot of different little things there's little things that I still use in my day to day like cellar experiences that I remember from like that first harvest you know I had the assistant winemaker John his biggest lesson for me was to work with intention and so it was always like trying to pick up my speed always trying to move in the most efficient way possible and to like think about the processes of what I'm doing and and why I'm doing them you know figuring out why you're doing a punch down and why you need to do it a certain way and how um, yeah, he was great and just kind of instilling in me, like, help, helping push me to be the best seller person I could be, even from the very beginning.
1: You mentioned that you, went, you did two more harvests in school. Did you go back to the same place, or did you go to different places for those?
2: I went to a different place for the next two years. So I worked two years with Stolo Vineyards down in Cambria, California. So they're actually like the closest vineyard to the coast in all of California. And they make Pinot Noir, Syrah, Chardonnay, Um and that was a super fun experience for me. It was my first woman winemaker to work with. Uh, You know, we brought in probably 40 tons total. It was just this tiny little place. It was me and her. I was her first ever intern. I was the first ever intern at Rhoda as well, actually, so there was a learning curve on both ends for everybody, um, but she had just had a baby, so it was this super fun vintage where I could go to school at the same time as working harvest, and she had a baby strapped to her chest, and some days she'd be like, can you hold the baby while I load the press? And I'm like, okay, and I'm holding the baby, and we're loading fruit, and then she, I'm you know, shoving it in, and it was just such a fun experience, and she makes beautiful wines absolutely beautiful wines. Still to this day, that's that's one of my top harvest experiences is working two years with Nicole.
1: What did you notice that was different? I mean, obviously you had one harvest experience at that point, so at that point, mm-hmm. kind of all you know is from one place. So what was different about the sec- about your second harvest experience?
2: So different, completely different. I mean, you know, at Rhoda it was like, go, 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 go. Try to get as much done as possible. You know, same thing, I was going to school at the same time that I was working harvest. They would have preferred that I had took the season off, but by the time I got the job, it just wasn't possible with, you know, credits and classes and whatever. Um, And then Stolo was just a totally different game. I mean, so mellow, so relaxed, you know, but with so much intention. Nicole works with so much intention in everything that she does. Um, And she was just such a, it was interesting because, you know, on my first vintage, you work with a winemaker and Jeff was fantastic. I adore Jeff, but he was, you know, a winemaker that works really well under pressure and under a lot of stress. And he carries that stress with him and everything that he does, as most of us do. Um, And Nicole totally had this like, kind of Zen attitude about how she moved throughout the space and what she did. You know, her husband is the vineyard manager for the site and we work with all estate fruit there. Um, So you just cross the road and you're in the vineyards and it's a beautiful, gorgeous setting. And I think it just kind of helped even keeping things calm in that perspective. You sit down at lunch and you're in this big grassy field surrounded by flowers and you're like, okay, we're doing something cool here. We're making magic a little bit, but we're surrounded by it. And it was, such a relaxing environment to be in and I think Nicole really helps set the standard for like how I wanna work as I continue through the industry of like how I wanna treat the people around me, how I want to interact with my, you know, potentially one day employees and how I want to maintain kind of that level of cool, calm, collectedness throughout what can be a really stressful, anxiety ridden time. <laughs>
1: It's interesting you're you're kind of already thinking about that as you're as you're interning in college. You're already kind of thinking about your future. So tell me as you're as you're approaching graduation, what are you thinking for your career? What, what do you what do you kind of want to do next? What do you what do you kind of have your, as like a long-term goal at that point?
2: At that point, when I was leaving college, my main goal was to get as much experience in different varying size facilities as possible. You know, I had worked micro micro boutique um, for the most part. Even Rhoda is pretty pretty tiny. So I would worked at really small places. I knew that I wanted to expand that experience. I knew that even in that moment, I knew that micro boutique was what I was going to want to return back to. Working with Nicole completely shifted my trajectory in this industry. Absolutely. She influences me still today. So. I knew that that was where I wanted to return to, but I knew that it was incredibly important to get experience in larger facilities, work with fruit that I may never work with ever again and, you know, just round out my experience so that one day when I return back to those tiny little spots, I could do everything and it wouldn't be a problem because I've seen all of it. I've seen it on a larger scale and I can kind of settle into knowing what I'm working with and knowing what I'm doing. So that was kind of my main goal. I knew I wanted to travel, you know, I wanted to do the whole wide world harvest jump back and forth for years and years and years. Um, That was the whole plan. Yeah, I graduated college being like, you know, I did one more harvest in California and I had set plans to go to Australia. And when I left for Australia, I was like telling my parents like, I'll see you in five years, like, (laughs) I'll come back for Christmas in a little bit, <laughs> see. That was the big plan, was to travel as much as I could, get as much experience as I could, and then come home one day and find a little spot to work.
1: So tell me about that. You're, you obviously you said you had plans to go to Australia, that's your next step, so tell, mm-hmm. us, tell us about Australia and then what comes next.
2: So I did go to Australia. Um, I got a job with Molly Duker at McLaren Vale, which was great, they were, you know, they're significantly larger than anything I had worked with up to that point. Oh actually, no, I worked with Trincero in between. So I worked at Trincero. That was my first really large job facility experience. Um, and I was in the lab there, which was awesome. They had just bought a brand new facility, so I got to be there as they kind of redesigned this entire new lab, brought in all the new people, all the new equipment. It was an invaluable experience, absolutely, cause i just learned so much in how to organize and develop a new spot which was great um so then i jumped to molly duker and it was you know again a whole new world i was in australia there were giant spiders everywhere and kangaroos and i was like what's going on um and again a much larger facility than what i was usually working with so when i was there i did lab as well but we did you know i had applied for a, a seller position and they really needed someone in the lab and they were like you have lab experience and be really helpful please and i was like okay fine so i did the lab again and i'm i'm really glad that i did it was a really great experience and again helped me kind of nail down you know the comfortability of working in the lab and kind of finding my flow in that part of the industry um, but when we switched over to night shift i got to jump into the seller a lot more and kind of get involved with that And being the lab person allowed me to kind of float through the facility a lot more than I would have in the cellar. I would have been stuck kind of doing one thing, but you know, more of the time I got to go and see the crush pad and see what that looked like receiving fruit. I got to run around and help with cat management whenever I wanted to, and I got to do a lot of inoculations. So it allowed me to run around and see a lot more than I think I would have seen if I had just been in the cellar experience, which was really, really fun. but uh, yeah, getting, I mean, getting that big, bigger winery experience, too, was great. I mean, I was going from being the singular and first intern ever to being one of, like, 35 <laughs> and, you know, kind of learning and watching and seeing what it's like to be kind of a part of a team. And that was kind of my first, like, big, like, camaraderie Harvest experience of, like, being a part of that community and, like, the, you know, the mutual suffering and the mutual joy that you get that comes with Harvest of watching everybody run around and you know jumping in to help when you can and having someone else jump in in and help you when you need it and that was super fun really exciting experience
1: so you already had in your mind the kind of micro boutique was what you wanted to come back to did Mm -hmm. did your experience your first kind of experiences in larger wineries did did that change it at all or did it kind of reinforce what you already thought
2: um you know it, it did kind of push the micro boutique off to the side a little bit in my mind i think i had so much fun at molly duker and really enjoyed being a part of such a big team um, that it did kind of push that that set standard of micro boutique out of my mind a little bit and i think that's how i you know in the next couple of years i ended up at all of the places that i did because i wasn't so focused on you know i need to get this experience i need to get that experience i need to stay at micro boutique it kind of allowed me to like open my mind up to what other opportunities there are. Cause there's so many, I mean, you know, every different winery offers something completely different, a new experience, a new learning experience. So it was good cause I got to see this large place and I had so much fun with it that it helped me kind of let go of all of my preconceived notions of what it was gonna be like, you know, in my head it was like, I don't wanna work at a big tank farm and be stuck doing the same thing all day, every day. And it absolutely wasn't that you know it was just as much fun just as dynamic as working in those small places it totally shifted my mentality of working in larger places it helped me learn that like I love multitasking and I love when there's like seven different things to think about and balancing it all at the same time and having that fluidity of like finding your zone and finding your pace and that wasn't something that I had experienced before so I think it kinda helped push me in like Trust my own skills and capabilities a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, in the micro boutique, I could kind of sit back and relax a little bit more, and you know we move at our own pace when you're that small because you can, and you don't have that same luxury in a larger facility. Mm-hmm. Help test my boundaries and build my confidence quite a bit, mm-hmm. which I think I needed
1: from your perspective, what were the sort of the biggest challenges to making wine at scale? What were the biggest differences from, I mean, obviously you mentioned the pace. What were the biggest challenges of making that that amount of wine uh, in, in that short amount of time?
2: I think the biggest one for me that I, you know, like I said, I hadn't experienced before was, yeah, like the pace and the structure of all of it. You have to have such a set structure of like how you're going to do things and when you're going to do them and how you can get them done and, and just learning to like you know, like in the lab, when you've got 200 samples, you need to run through and they want it done by lunch so that you can do the second round after lunch. It's like, you really need to find a way to kind of set a pace for yourself and push yourself through that process. I mean, you get to 150 samples and you're like, oh my God, when will it end? And it doesn't end and you have to be okay with that. And you have to learn to just push through it, which was totally new for me and stressful and, a difficult transition, but totally key. And when you, you know, get to those larger facilities, it's all about juggling and learning how to juggle and having so many things going all at once. It's just a good time.
1: <laughs> what about the other part of it for you? It's first time sort of being away from, from, your, from home. Well, what was the adjustment like for you on, on, a, on a non-work, more personal level? <laughs>
2: a huge adjustment yeah absolutely um you know i grew up in the same county that i went to college in and i had these big dreams of traveling the world and you know and then i got to australia and i was like i miss my mom (laughs) you know i miss my family i miss the cat it was um you know all of these little creature comforts that you don't think about that that really tug at your heartstrings that you would never expect. You know, as weird and simple as like your favorite kind of cookie back home, and you just can't get it in Australia. You know, something like it, but not quite. Um, that was incredibly difficult. But again, I think the biggest thing for me, I think one of my favorite parts of the wine industry has always been the people and always been the community, and that was where I found my comfort. You know, I moved all the way across the world could only talk to my family at these random increments of time at night or early in the morning, you know, which was great for 24 hour night shifts and 12 hour, you know, the full days, that worked out. But, um, you know, I found people that had lived completely different lives from me and somehow this one product brought us back together and we had a shared interest right off the bat and we could discuss similar experiences that we had shared, whether they came from New Zealand or, you know, I came from Central Coast California and what I thought was really interesting was like you know I met people who had shared interests but also people that knew people that I knew it's such a small international community and it's crazy I met a girl that I grew up with in the same town we knew the same family friends her brother was in my middle school class and I didn't meet her until I was in Australia and we went to college together at the same time and everything and it just helps you kind of put your life in perspective that you know yeah sure I'm homesick but like this could be home too and it is for a while and you meet people that make a huge impact in your life that you know years later you still think about them and you still think about the great times that you had don't get me wrong it was a huge struggle I struggled quite a bit in the long distance and being away from home and that was really really hard but I was able to find comfort in the community of this industry.
1: So what comes next after Australia?
2: After Australia, I was just homesick enough to give up on my worldwide tour plans. <laughs> um, I decided I would come home, but I knew that I didn't want to just come home and go back to California and go back to the central coast. It was, it was too much too soon. I was like, I can't give up on like the whole wide, worldwide tour plans. I got to do something a little different. So that brought me to Oregon, actually. So I... Was sitting in Australia, had no idea what I wanted to do. I was working 12 hour shifts and then I was coming home, cleaning up the best I could and doing Zoom interviews or Skype at the time, sorry, we didn't have Zoom yet, but Skype interviews with places in Oregon because you know, one of my college best friends moved up to Portland. I had thought about going to Portland when I was in high school for school. Something just kind of kept drawing me north. I don't know what it was. There, I have really no explanation, but I was like, it just seems to make sense. It's close enough, but it's still something completely different from what I've done before. So, yeah, I just started scouring wine jobs, trying to see what I could find. I ended up, um, I was stuck between, well, I reached out to Nicole, who I worked with at Stolo. She does, um, she was on the board for a lot of years with uh, the, oh my gosh, what is it called? Oh, my best friend's on the committee for it. She's gonna be really mad at me. Um, World of Pinot Noir. It's a big event down in Santa Barbara. Um, and they have a lot of organ producers that come down. So I reached out to Nicole and I was like, I'm thinking about going to Oregon. Do you have any suggestions? So I took her suggestions, but you know, I was on wine jobs too, and I found Soder vineyards on wine jobs and I found Anime through Nicole. And so I had you know, neck and neck job interviews with them and I was sitting there, you know, in Australia, trying to figure out where I'm gonna go next. And, you know, I ended up accepting a job with Sodar and packed up my bags, flew home, lived at home for a month with my parents, soaked up that comfort and, you know, and then got, on a, got in the car and drove on up.
1: You mentioned Oregon having kind of a draw over you that you didn't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, at the time did you think Oregon was a place that you might want to stay for a while or was it kind of another stop along the worldwide tour
2: Totally a stop on the tour. I had no intention of staying. I had every intention of coming up here, doing something different and then going from there, whether that was another international harvest or finding a job down back in California. It's all, you know, always in the back of my mind it's the end goal to get back to California and, and live, you know, closer to my family and and being in California, I grew up there. I love it. Can't help myself. I know all the Oregonians hate it, but I love it. <laughs> um, so that was totally the plan. I had no intention of staying, not even a little bit. No inkling of like, yeah, I think I could stay there for a couple of years. So here I am three years later.
1: <laughs> so tell us about that first experience of Sodor. First, first of all, before we talk about Sutter, tell us mm-hmm. about kind of first impressions of Oregon wine. You've now you've seen California, you've, you've seen Australia. What were your first impressions of Oregon, of the the place and of the industry and of the people here uh, compared to those other two?
2: Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, it was kind of like my first harvest at Rhoda. I really had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, You know, I'm sure I had had Oregon wines along the way, but it wasn't anything that had ever stood out to me. I knew that they made Pinot Noir, which is what I did at Stolo for two years. So I was like, this is a relatively comfortable transition. I know these varietals, I've worked with them before you know, so this should work, it should be fun. But I didn't really have a concept of like what the industry was like up here. I had no concept of, you know, what the climate was even really like, or very much, not very much information on this at all. And really I just, oh my gosh, I could just, I cannot believe how I did this, but I just landed a job at Soder. And I remember, you know, finding it on wine jobs and like reading through and looking at their website and being like, yeah, this sounds pretty cool. Okay, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, God, I had no idea. Like I landed this incredible job, you know, and I worked with this incredible team. And I look back at it like, man, you were so clueless about what you had stumbled upon. And I just feel so thankful for the opportunities that I've been able to find, you know, and a lot of it has been hard work, you know. I don't want to discredit myself to some extent. I've, I've worked really hard to, to get what I had, and you know, and it worked out really well. It's paid off really well. But yeah, there sure was some dumb luck in there, because, you know, it wasn't like I saw soda on there and was like, oh shit, soda. like, <laughs> I want to go for that. It was like, oh, OK, that place looks kind of cool. <laughs> They've got cows. <laughs> I like it um yeah total accident and i feel really lucky for where i ended up because i mean i did that first harvest at soda and it was probably like halfway maybe three quarters in when it finally clicked where i was like i've got no plans after this i've got nothing better to do i think maybe i should just stay here you know and i've got my mom on one end being like no come home (laughs) and i've got my dad on the other end like I think you should stay there. You seem really happy. This seems like a really good fit for you. I think that, you know, like I said, I got nothing better to do. You know? Why not? I might as well stick around. So you know, I'm really thankful for Soda and the opportunity and the experience that it gave me because it got me to kind of stay here in the valley. Got me hooked.
1: Like every Californian before you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and Chris is just going to have the biggest smile on his face when he hears this.
1: Oh, man. Well, let's, let's talk about that experience. Uh, tell me about the Soda experience. Uh, you, obviously, like you said, you kind of came in with no real expectations or a real knowledge of, of what you're getting into. So mm-hmm. tell me about the first harvest there at Soda and what, what it was that made you want to stay.
2: I think for me Soder was like oh my gosh you could ask all of my friends they've heard the whole Soder story endlessly since 2018 um, I think we got really lucky I think for us it was the perfect storm we had this amazing team and to this day it's the best harvest crew that I've worked with um, of just complete and utter support for each other constantly every day it was like okay, this is what I'm going to do. What do you need to get done? How can I help you? You know, prioritizing the right thing. Um, We just melded together in every possible way. And that was a huge part of why, you know, I think I decided to stick around was, I had this incredible team. I got really lucky. I landed, landed in a house with a bunch of other wine industry professionals and I just had the best time. I mean, my social life was great. You know, the community that I found was fantastic. And work was fantastic. I think what really drew me to sodor was the opportunity again for learning. I think I've tried to maintain throughout my career that you know everything is an opportunity for learning and for growth. I try really hard to maintain that perspective from my first harvest of asking as many questions as I can as possible, trying to like keep myself grounded to like you're not always the smartest person in the room, and you have a lot to learn and that's a good place to be. Because when you're surrounded by the kind of people that I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by, there's so much to learn. And if you walk in with that attitude of like, I don't need to learn anything, this is my you know, sixth, seventh harvest, whatever, like, then you're not gonna learn anything. And what's the point of continuing to do those harvest experiences? Why are you there then? Um, and I think for me, you know, Chris and I just totally clicked right off the bat and To me, he was a great person to learn from, and he was always happy to share, you know, why he did things and how he did them and how he learned that knowledge himself. Um, You know, what drew me there in the first place was in our interview, I told him that, you know, I had kind of been stuck in the lab for a couple of years and I was kind of bored and he was like, we won't put you in the lab. If you want to be in the cellar, you're going to be in the cellar. And I was like, "That sounds perfect." And he was like, "Do you have a forklift experience?" And I was like, "No, but I really want to learn." And I had been trying for years to get on a forklift. And he was like, "If you want to learn a forklift, you're going to be on a forklift. You know, and there we were. first couple weeks in, we're on a forklift. And it was great. And he put me on there as much as he could. And when I got stuck in certain spots, he was there to, you know, make fun of me for it and then help pull me out and help explain. like, why I got stuck and where I was and what I did wrong. Um, He was such a wonderful helping hand along the way. And then the same thing with the other interns. I mean, they were there to just learn, you know, nobody was there to show off and be the best intern of the year, you know, we just were all there to like, have a good time, to work super hard and to learn as much as we could from, from chris and from tony and you know from nadine in the vineyards i mean gosh what an experience to stumble upon it was pretty great
1: you mentioned that you had some experience with pinot noir earlier on in your in your in your career uh, tell me about working with Pinot was it something that the first time around was something you you wanted to do again you were excited about did the the grape stand out to you among others or was this just something where you had familiarity with it and felt comfortable with it
2: i think it was more of a comfortability yeah i hadn't quite fallen in love with Pinot Noir yet um it wasn't really something that held a whole lot of a whole lot of interest you know, I mean I grew up in in Templeton, there's plenty of zinn and cabs and these really beautiful but really heavy hitters coming through. So, it was a bit refreshing, you know, to go to Stolo and work with Pinot and have something a little bit lighter, but, you know, just as dynamic and just as exciting and fun to taste as anything else I had seen, but just a totally different style. Um, but I think moving up here it wasn't like, yes, I want to I want to work with Pinot Noir. It was like yeah, I've done that before. It was just a comfortability to it that, you know, I knew I had done it, I knew I could do it again. And, you know, there was some similarities between what Stolo did and and what Soder did. So it was a nice, a nice transition for me to kind of ease into.
1: So you have this kind of revelation during Harvest at Soder that maybe you want to stick around Oregon a bit longer than you anticipated. So tell me about <laughs> Harvest Wraps Up at Soder. What comes next?
2: man another totally serendipitous moment uh i feel like it's always been kind of a theme in my life of just serendipity and and kind of letting letting these little things lead me in the right direction i'm a really big believer in following your gut and following your intuition and if you kind of you know try not to fight it too much for me i've seen that things kind of you catch the wave Mm -hmm. and you ride it on out so um, we had done, Soder was great in taking us around the valley and introducing us to you know other people in the industry and showing us other sellers and stuff. So we actually did a seller tour out at Ponzi. Um, and I remember looking around being like, damn, this is a big facility. Like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, but again, nothing in particular really stood out to me. I was just like, wow, this is really cool. Like gravity flow has always been really interesting to me. I've, always kind of wanted to try it. You know, we did a little bit at Stolo because we're small enough. You just lift your tanks up and you fill your barrels by lifting your tanks up just because that's the easiest thing to do, not for any really necessary, like, intention. Um, So I remember walking through being like, this is kind of cool. And uh, JP leading us around and being like, he's pretty cool. This could be kind of fun. But no super interest in it. And so we did our tour. I think that was, like, I was like a couple of days before Halloween and we ended up. I ended up going to a Halloween party a couple of days later where, again, totally tried to push myself out of my comfort zone, really didn't want to be at this party. And I looked over and there was this girl standing there and I just struck up a conversation with her and it ended up being Julia, which was the analogist at Ponzi. And she was like, oh, that's right. And I was like, oh yeah, we just toured with you. And she's like, yeah. She's like, so what's next? What are you doing? And I was like, you know, She's the first person I said this to out loud. I go, you know, I think, I think I just wanna stay here. I don't really have any plans. I think I wanna stay in Oregon. I'm ready to transition to a full-time position and give that a try. And she's like, yeah, good for you. All right, well, you know, enjoy the party. I'm like, okay, yeah, have a good night. And I walk away and 10 minutes later, I'm leaving. because so I'm like, I'm done here. Uh, and then I think like maybe a week later, she texted the full-time guy at Sodor and said, tell your girl, we've got a job opening we're hiring for a full-time seller position at Ponzi. Tell her to send in her resume." And I'm like, okay, (laughs) sounds good. (laughs) You know? Um, I have a friend who works in HR and she really, really hates me for this part of the story, but um, I didn't know how to get in contact with Louisa Ponzi. I didn't have her email address. I didn't have any contact information for her. The only email address that I could find on the website was like info at Ponzi. Vineyards.com and I was like, you know, pretty much everybody's just like their name at the winery, and she would get so mad at me, like, no, like, you need to reach out to someone, you know, she's in HR, she's a professional, mm-hmm. so she's like, you have to do this professionally, you gotta make sure you're going to the right place, and I'm like, I think I got it, I think it's gonna be fine. So, I just send my resume to Louisa at Ponzi Vineyards. You know, I'm like, this is going to work out great. And she's fuming. And then, like, two weeks go by and I don't hear anything. And I'm like, oh man, like, I really screwed that up. Like, she was right. I should have found like a confirmed email address. I am just sweating. And after two weeks, I got an email back from the assistant winemaker, JP. And he's like, Louisa, pass me your resume. We'd love to have you come in, come do an interview. I had like one more week before I moved back to California just cuz I didn't have a job I didn't know what I was doing it was close to Christmas and I was like I'm gonna go home for a month you know from there I'll apply to jobs see what I can get i had applied to a couple places and just just hadn't even got responses no one had said anything I was like man my resumes not that bad (laughs) um so I finally got that email back from JP and I was like I leave for California in a week but name a time and a place and I'll be there and I'll meet you. And so we scheduled an interview for two days later. To this day, the best interview I've ever had with someone. We just like talked for like an hour and a half and we just had the best time. And I was like, wow, I really nailed that one. Uh, And he emailed me the next day and he's like, can you come in and meet Louisa? So the day before I drove home to California, I met Louisa. Didn't go quite as smoothly as JP, that's fine. We got there, uh, but still pretty good. Um, And by that night I had an offer. It was just, you know, kismet, just meant to kind of happen, totally fell into place. So I went home, did Christmas with my family, Uh, somewhere in between there, got a job offer for a job in New Zealand as well. Uh, Came back, worked at Ponzi for two months left for six weeks for harvest in New Zealand, and then came back to Ponzi and continued off from there. So kind of a whirlwind experience of, you know, suddenly deciding I've got nothing better to do, I might as well stay here. And then again, falling into place, working at this winery that has way more history and weight and meaning to it than I ever could have expected. And just landing somewhere incredible. <laughs> Having no idea of how I really got there, <laughs> but just landing it, yeah.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about, first of all, about, the, about, about Ponzi itself a little bit and about mm-hmm. that. You mentioned the history and the weight of it. T- tell me at what point that, that kind of, you, you feel that or you notice that when you work there.
2: Mm. You know, I think it kind of took a while. It was like, you know, during the interview, it was like, you know, coming into terms of realizing, you know, the history and the weight behind it and, and like learning the actual history of Ponzi and and all of that. But it wasn't until, you know, I got started and I think probably my first harvest with them was when the full weight of where I got to be really hit me. And when I really got to develop a, more of a relationship with Louisa and really get to start to learn from her and show her what I could offer and figure out what she had to offer, which is a hell of a lot. Um, Yeah, it was really that first harvest. And seeing all of these, you know, Ponzi really strives to bring in internationals and for harvest interns. And a big part of that is for the benefit of the staff to make these connections with people that are from all around the world. And that first vintage, we ended up with a team that was like, pretty much entirely internationals that came from like long-standing winemaking families. And that was huge, I mean, to meet all of these people that within themselves and at their homes, their families have this huge name behind them and they're drawn to this place, Ponzi Vineyards, where they wanna be and they wanna come and learn from. And to be on the full-time staff of a place like that and to be someone that contributed to their experience and to their learning process, that was like, whoa, <laughs> how did I get here again? Like, I was just like, wow, this is this is pretty incredible. And again, I'm pretty lucky. And again, you know, I put a lot of hard work into it. Mm-hmm. I really, really did, but yeah, just feeling really lucky to have landed where I did and to look around and recognize and understand the influence and the experience that I was getting. Mm-hmm. It was pretty amazing
1: tell me about the work itself obviously you've, you've done a lot of it at this point you've done cellar work you've done lab work you've done harvest work mm-hmm. was there anything different about the work at Ponzi than you did before were you or what, what was the what was the kind of the, the, the push for you or the growth for you there
2: everything about Ponzi was push and growth <laughs> absolutely from day one. Um, It was a big aha moment of me recognizing that, you know, feeling confident that like, I'd done my cellar work and I'd done my lab work and I'd worked at a big facility before, or, you know, a larger facility before. And then getting to Ponzi and being like, whoa. I, you know, I mean, I knew my basics of of cellar work, but in reality, I had only worked harvests. I hadn't really done full time, you know, year round work. At Stolo I did, but again, it was like, She'd call me in for a day and be like, We need help bottling or we need help racking. Like, can you do a couple of hours on Friday? And I'm like, No problem. This was, we're racking for a week and we're trying to hit 80 barrels a day and you've got to get it done. You know, it was a completely different mentality. And I really think that it totally skyrocketed my seller skills. Um, yeah, everything there was learning. You know, we've, they have an incredible team full of a ton of experience and you know i mean when i was there it was like jp was there he was going on nine years ten years um we've got Ilario in the cellar he's like my favorite person in the world uh but he's in the cellar there and he's been with ponzi for i think he's going on 12 years now and it's the only winery he's ever worked at he knows that facility inside and out like the back of his hand and he is the most incredible cellar hand i've ever worked with So to have that to learn from, it was incredible. And it was such a great experience because it was like, you know, here's this guy. He's super quiet, super modest. You know, by the end of it, I'd always be like, Lara, you're perfect. You do everything so well. You're incredible. And he'd be like, no, no, I make mistakes. (laughs) And I'm like, when? Like, you spelled something wrong on a label. Like, no, you don't make mistakes. Um, So just a huge, huge, huge learning experience. absolutely honed me to be the seller person that I am today, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, Completely helped me learn, you know, like I started seeing at Molly Duker of learning how to juggle and learning how to prioritize things and make smart decisions and to work in a really intentional way. Ponzi drilled that into me in every way possible. You know, they've really pushed me to figure out how to work as efficiently as possible. The current assistant winemaker there, Max, like his whole drive is efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. And he was the cellar master when I first started. So, you know, he was there every day helping me learn, you know, why to do things a certain way and how to do them a certain way and to get to the end process as quickly and efficiently and as smartly as possible with, you know, top wine quality procedures in mind, always. It's always focused on wine quality. So it was a great experience of learning the best way to do things in all aspects, fastest, smartest, top quality, all the way across the board. Yeah, I've got a lot of respect for what they do there. It was a wonderful two and a half years.
1: You've talked about intentionality quite a bit through this interview, obviously, from, from the very start, and, mm-hmm. and intentionality can mean a lot of different things, and I, I'm curious for you, uh, with intentionality, obviously, you started a, a very small place where it's a very small team, and intentionality means one thing there, right? Yeah. Where it's, you know, at a place like Ponzi, tell me about how intentionality is different when you're working at the, with that size of team and that scale of wine. Does it mean the same thing to you to be intentional in that regard, or, or what does intentionality mean hmm. for you there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think it's different. Um, you know, you work with intention at a small place because, because it's kind of higher stakes almost. You've only got one shot with these little lots and you've got a lot of time, a lot more time t- in some regards. So you have the space and the ability to work with intention in that regards of like slowing things down and doing them however you need to. I think with Ponzi being at a much larger scale, I was always impressed with how well they maintained the ph- philosophy of intention and like the way they moved with intention that you can do at a smaller scale, but at a large scale. You know, Louisa is meticulous in how she works with her vineyards and with her different lots. You know, I mean, a lot of these vineyards, we've got, they've got contracts that, They've worked with for years and years and years, you know, let alone their own vineyards that they've been working with for, you know, years and years and years. Um, And so watching how she kind of moved and navigated, you know, the growth that that company has gone through in the last 50 years, but maintaining the same kind of quality, like, I felt like there was a lot of things that she did at such a large scale, which was the same things that we would have done at Stolo. Smaller lots, you know, giving everything its own interaction and its own right. Um, We're at a larger place, it's a lot easier to be like, throw it all together and throw, it's all gonna end up in one big blend anyway, you know? Throw a lot more of it together for convenience sake and for time's sake and for space sake. But I felt like there was never that cutting of corners, like every lot, every vineyard, every you know wine got its own special attention and its own push forward nothing like kind of was just like oh that one will just do its own thing it was always very meticulous and I think that was the intention that I was impressed with with Ponzi and like you know building such a large facility with gravity flow in mind at every step you know that was huge I mean they really invested in doing that and we follow it through every step of the way. We use gravity at every single point that's possible. Sometimes it slows things down. And when you work at a big place like that, it's absolutely a luxury to be able to be like, well, we're gonna slow it down because we're concerned about quality. Mm -hmm. And that's the commitment that they've made. Slow it down every once in a while here and there because this is how we do things and this is how we wanna continue to do things.
1: So let's talk about 2020 a little bit, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of things changed for you in 2020. <laughs> so uh, let's talk first of all about the, the, the pandemic. So last, last spring you're working at Ponzi, COVID, COVID comes to town. So tell tell me about kind of initial reaction, personal, professional reaction to that. What did you have to adjust kind of in personal life and what did you have to adjust in your, in your work life? And, and how did you kind of make it through last year?
2: Yeah, well, you know, it was a huge adjustment, as it was for everyone across the globe, which is kind of crazy to think about. Something that affected the entire world it doesn't, you know, happen all that often. Anyway, um, yeah, it was a big transition. So it, at the beginning of twenty twenty, you know, we had our we had our yearly reviews. And I got offered to take on the vineyard liaison position, which is kind of like grower relations. I did all of the contracts with all of our growers. I'd go out and do site visits. I'd help bring, you know, I'd facilitate bringing them onto the site so they could see what's going on. They could taste through the wines, um, all that really fun stuff. So that was a really exciting kind of step up for me. I was really excited to get out into the vineyards more and build relationships, you know, for me, like I said earlier, like one of my favorite parts of this whole industry is the people and being connected with the people what so pushed me to go to full time in the first place was like, I'm tired of learning and getting to know people for like two months and then being ripped out of that. I wanted to be a part of something. So I got to get, jump into this uh, vineyard liaison position, which was really exciting. And it really ended up being the saving grace for my whole 2020 year to some extent. Um, and really helped keep me sane as the pandemic picked up and as things locked down. Um, You know, the winery locked down as much as it could. We went on to bare minimum, absolute necessity work. You know, you weren't allowed to be on site unless you absolutely had to. Um, And Louisa was really great about helping transition like my new position into being my way of like being able to still work being able to like still make money and earn a living and get things done while being productive. Um, so it was a really awesome opportunity. I had almost nothing else to do other than go out to vineyards <laughs> um, and I took every opportunity I could. So I got to go to pretty much every single site that they work with. Um, you know at this point I'm only a year and a half into living in the Valley. And it's a huge opportunity to go around to all these different sites and with growers that have worked with Louisa for years um, and kind of introduce myself, learn about them, learn about their sites, learn the Valley as a whole. It was probably, yeah. I mean, the best thing that I could have asked for to have in a pandemic. It got me out of the house, got me into the vineyards. You know, I got to take my dog most of the time She's a rescue, I had just adopted her in February. She like wouldn't leave her crate for weeks and then I'm like, okay, well, we're gonna go look at vineyards now. And she loves it, she'd just run around. So it was a huge escape for the both of us and a really great way to like, continue to feel like life could function and move forward, you know? Mm And it was lucky to where, like, I could meet growers outside, you know, and we could stay distance, we would be safe, we would be outside, we would both wear our masks, you know, we we're still uncertain of how this thing moved around and how to navigate that in a lot of ways, but it allowed me to, like, continue to form connections in a time where my social life and, like, my connection to this valley was completely shut down, and I still got to do that, so. It was like, yeah, the best thing that I ever could have hoped for. I got to learn so much of the region and learn so many about these, so much about these vineyards, and keep moving forward in a time where everything else stopped and stood still. Yeah, it was a weird year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a nice understatement yeah. <laughs> to be there. I like that. Obviously, the uh, another part of the weird year was last harvest. So, tell me mm-hmm. about uh, about about that and about kind of your reaction to it and and the adjustments you had to make and the ponzi had to make last 2020 as the excuse me last harvest as the smoke rolled in
2: yeah well the smoke and with covid you know i think ponzi did um again i've got a lot of respect for the way that they kind of handled the situation you know the assistant winemaker max he's really dedicated to you know keeping people safe covid was a stressful time for all of us but It was nice to have someone that was so dedicated to being, you know, it makes it a lot easier to like kind of give up your social life and give up some of these things when you know that the rest of the team is doing it with you. And we're all sacrificing for the benefit of the whole, you know, and that's really what we did. We all kind of shut down and we all locked down pretty good. Um, You know, we were so focused on like, Not being the winery that got COVID in the middle of harvest and had to shut down for two weeks, Mm -hmm. you know, and lose that time. I mean, that can kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was that on top of it. It was nice because I felt comfortable, I felt safe going to work during even during COVID, which was great. Um, And then the smoke rolled in. Um, You know, like I told you, I was doing vineyard, doing a vineyard relations position. Again, a, a crazy experience that completely catapulted like what I was comfortable doing from the start of Harvest to the finish of Harvest of, of what I was kind of forced into being a part of and, and learning, crazy learning opportunity. Um, it was pretty heartbreaking if I'm completely honest. It was really devastating. And I know a lot of people share that sentiment in the Valley It was so hard to be the person out on the ground, you know, leading up to that season, meeting these growers, watching the vines and the, you know, fruit develop and seeing what an incredible vintage it was coming up to be. And then to watch something kind of decimate all of that so quickly with no control of any of it. You know, I remember just like driving home and everything is orange and dark. And I remember looking up at the sky and being like, God, if it opened up and Godzilla jumped out, like I would not be surprised because that's how scary and threatening and unnatural it looked that it was like, this is the moment. Mm -hmm. If something was gonna come, it would be right now. And I would just not be surprised. so it was an absolutely brutal vintage, emotionally and physically as always, and just a lot of stress and a lot of strain and completely heartbreaking to have to come to growers and be like, okay, you know, we've both worked really hard at this. I've just started developing, you know, this relationship with you. I'm dedicated to this. Now we're screwed. What are we going to do from here, you know? so." I mean, I think Louisa handled it really well. She handled it with a lot of grace, a lot of like, you know, from her, I w- always want to pull like her kind of calm, cool, and collected mentality, similar to what I saw with Nicole at Solo. It's just kind of this like zenness, you know? She walked in and like her motto for the whole vintage was um, cautiously optimistic. You know, and I think we maintain that really well, even till, you know, me leaving Ponzi like to the end of it, like we maintain that mentality of like the 2020 vintage, you know, we're cautious, but we're optimistic. This is something unprecedented for the Valley. Like we, you know, people don't know what to go, what's going on here. But I think it was a great experience and a great show of like what this community does and everybody just kind of pulled together you know, I think in a time like that, there's a lot of opportunity for people to turn on each other and to pull away and to get secretive and seclusive of what they're doing and, and, and you know, weird and kind of sneaky about things. And I feel like we push in the opposite direction and the community here really just pulled together and everybody just kind of like, we're like, well, we're all in it together. This is going really poorly. Let's see what we can do with it, you know, in the best way possible. It was, um, it was heartbreaking, but like joyous in in a lot of ways as well, just seeing how everything kind of pulled back together of trying to make the best of what we could, you know, but yeah, brutal vintage yikes
1: especially with your role with as as sort of in your liaison, mm-hmm. tell me about the responsibility or or i guess or the pressure you felt tell me about kind of handling that your, Talk about people's livelihoods and, and their you know a, a, an annual crop how did you kind of negotiate that line for yourself and these relationships you're just trying to build?
2: Yeah that was uh, I think probably the most difficult part of the vintage um, I'm a pretty sensitive you know sometimes overly empathetic person um, and it was completely crushing for me to have to be like the first person to like put the fingers out there and be like do you have crop insurance? You know what do you have going on? You know how can we do this that's going to protect both of us in the same way? And you know, completely understanding where they're coming from, and feeling their pain and knowing their sadness because I feel in it too. It was so devastating to to be a part, like finally really be a part of watching that fruit grow. And then to know that it was all it was all ruined, and to go there and look at the clusters and be like, "These look beautiful," but like you know, they taste bad. You know that there's something there that you just can't see. Um, yeah, being in that role was was absolutely devastating. And I think that you know, I tried to handle it the best that I could. I tried to um, I tried to remind myself, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business and try, you know, try the best that I could to pull my emotions out of it a little bit, because if I didn't, it was going to really pull me down, pull me under, Um, you know, and I think for us, luckily we had, Ponzi works with some really incredible growers and some really wonderful understanding people and, you know, for the most part, everybody was really, really gracious in how we communicated and how we handled it together, because you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this industry together. You know, we do different parts, we do different aspects, but we're all one big, you know, general team. We're all here to make wine and make a really amazing product. And um, I'm really thankful for the way that a lot of the growers address the situation and how they interacted with me. Um, I think Louisa was really great in supporting me in that role as well and knowing in certain moments where it was appropriate to have me handle some situations and where she needed to step in and kind of take things on as you know the owner and the final say of things because you know sometimes it's easy to shoot the messenger because they're there and they're the one giving you bad news but you know she was really good in recognizing that she was the one taking the final decision mm-hmm. she obviously has a lot more experience than i do a lot more weight behind her um, and she definitely stepped in and helped out when she needed to and helped me keep things in perspective because It was, yeah, brutal. Brutal, to say the least.
1: (laughs) Well, well, during that answer, you mentioned the next part of my question, which is leaving Ponzi. So tell me about taking the next step uh, for you and, and, and where you are now
2: yeah um so i did you know i did two and a half years there um and like i've told you it was fantastic i wouldn't trade it for anything um an absolutely incredible experience i think it's made me it's absolutely built my confidence in more ways than i can count um in what my capabilities are and feeling really comfortable and moving throughout this industry um, and taking that next step Um, So at the end of, at the start of 2021, I actually got promoted to seller master and I took on that role um, for about six months. But, you know, even in my start of coming to Ponzi, I knew that it was, it wasn't gonna be a long-term position for me. When I started at Ponzi, I wanted to transition to full-time. I wanted to get in the cellar full-time. But for me, it was always gonna be a bit of a stepping stone. I always knew that I was like, okay, like probably like a year, maybe two Mm -hmm. max out, Um, you know? And so that's what I did. I did two and a half years. I kind of hit that point, you know, I got that great bump in position, which was awesome. And it, you know, it meant a lot to me that they saw that in me and that they wanted to push me into that position. And I'm really thankful to Louisa for that always. But it just was time. It was time for something different. Um, You know, I think with COVID as well, you kind of, you know, it was like, everything was stagnant for a year and I really feel like I lost a year in this valley and I just started getting itchy. I needed something different. You get that kind of like harvest bug jump, wanna travel itch. Uh, Gotta shift things around and I contemplated for a long time of like, do I move back to California? Is this the right time? I mean, I might as well, if I'm leaving a full-time gig for something, I should do something really different. Um, So I played with the idea of, you know, international harvest, which this is not really a great time to try to do. You know, it's just a struggle to do it. But if I could have, I would have. Um, I thought about going back to California. but I just, I just knew that it was time to go. And I saw this job posting on Facebook for a position with Leah Jorgensen Sellers. Um, I had just heard about Leah Jorgensen for the first time, like a couple weeks before, um, from my sweet friend Annette. Um, and she had worked with Leah a little bit and just helped out in the cellar here and there, and she opened a bottle of Gamay for me, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like, these are some really fun labels. Like, this sounds really interesting to me. It's something totally different than what I've done. Um, And, yeah, this opportunity presented itself, and I was like, huh, this could be kind of cool, you know? It's a bit of a leap of faith, you know? It's a completely different production size all over again. And that was kind of when I recircled back to the idea of like always wanting to return back to micro boutique. I knew I always wanted to come back to small and I felt like I had gotten all of those really great experiences that I had really sought for. And there wasn't really anything within my experiences that I felt like I was completely lacking. And I was like, you know what? This is just kind of a good time to make that transition back down to something tiny. It's what I've always wanted to return to. It's always going to be a leap of faith to do. It's always going to feel scary. And I'm always going to question whether or not it's the right call. But it just kind of was like, you know, kismet again. Just a moment of like, it's presented itself to me. I think I should probably go for it. So I reached out to Leah. We did an interview. It went really, really well. And, you know, she's kind of looking for some growth in her company and I feel like I've got the skills and the capability to help her with that in every, in every way that she needs. And again, it was just kind of a really good fit. And so I just kind of took the leap of faith. So I decided to leave Ponzi, um, you know, stayed with them for about another month and said goodbye and not completely goodbye. You know, Louisa let me stay on. I'm doing the vineyard liaison position through the end of the season, which is really, really awesome. I get to kind of, you know, have an extended say goodbye to all my growers and the relationships that I've developed and um, you know see the fruit through one more time. So I'm really thankful to maintain that bit of connection with them. I'm gonna go see her tomorrow, so I'm really excited uh, and get out and see the fruit. So I'm excited for that and it kind of helps maintain that a little bit. But yeah, I said my goodbyes for the most part and I'm working with Leah Jorgensen now and I'm really excited to see where it goes. I mean, she's got a ton of potential for growth. She's, you know, it's a big opportunity, I think, for the both of us, so um, I'm really excited. I think I think it'll be a fun, I keep calling it, like, I'm on an adventure. Who knows where it's gonna lead, you know? We'll see.
1: Tell me about the, the kind of the, in your mind at least, or in Leah's mind, the, the role, your role in, in that growth and, and what you're kind of bringing to the table and, and maybe how you see the growth going.
2: Yeah. Um, So right now I'm just a seller assistant with her, so, you know, we're uh, working out of Raptor Ridge at the moment and I'm helping with anything and everything she needs. So any sort of seller work that needs to be done, that's on me. Um, Any kind of help she needs with hospitality, I'm doing tastings and stuff right now, which I haven't done in like five or six years. So I'm like, this is kind of crazy, but kind of fun to do this again. Um, see that side, you know, what I think I, what I think I really appreciate about Leah so far is that, you know, while my main job and while my main title right now is mostly production, like I'm included in every meeting that her team, our team has, which is awesome. It's a super fun opportunity to hear more about the marketing and sales side of a company and see more of everything than just in the production which is a big part of why i wanted to go back to small to get my hands on everything again mm-hmm. um, you know she wants to get me she knows that i love being in the vineyards so she wants to get me as included with the vineyards and the new growers and whatever that we move forward with mm-hmm. as possible which is awesome um, she's helping me learn more about you know working with southern oregon fruit whole new game field all over again i'm like okay we're just learning. Uh, We're gonna figure it out, but it's really really fun. It's fun to return back to, you know, like Paso Robles is like mostly like limestone soils and a lot of um, I can't remember the word I'm trying to think of but it's similar to what we're finding in what we've got in southern Oregon. You know, she's got these big blown-up pictures on the wall with the um, with like the ancient fossils in them and it's the same kind of Stuff we're working with in Paso Robles. So it's really fun to kind of return back to that I'm really excited to return back to working with Cab Franc um, and kind of move away from Pinot Noir. I've done Pinot Noir for the majority of my career now, and it's been awesome, and I love it, and it's super fun. But I'm excited to do something completely different, and I think it'll kind of help bridge that gap a little bit, too, if I ever do decide to go back to California, get a little more experience with um, Cab Franc and some Malbec and some fun stuff. So yeah, I'm working in the cellar with her. Um, I think kind of what we'd both like to move towards is like, you know, she's got a lot on her plate. She's running a business. She just had a baby recently, you know, she's got a lot going on. So what I keep telling her is I'll take as much as you're willing to give me. Whatever you don't wanna do and get off your plate, I'll take it. So, you know, I think the goal is to kind of move me towards running her cellar a bit. Um, we're moving into we're moving facilities to Harper Voit in August um, in McMinnville, which is going to be really exciting. It's going to be a fun Custom Crush facility. I've never done Custom Crush. I've never worked in Custom Crush, um, so it's going to be really cool to learn a whole new aspect of the business. Of watching as potentially we try to bring on new clients, um, watching as Harper Voit brings on clients, and kind of learning that relationship and those dynamics meeting a bunch of new people in the industry that I've never worked with. Um, and I'm excited about trying working alongside like a secondary team, you know? They'll have their own winemaking team and we'll be our own little team and and learning how to navigate that, you know? And being back in a facility that has like more people going on, you know? you know? Ponzi, we're a decent sized team, but you see the same people every day and you know, we've got a whole flow and I think this will be something completely different, a whole new dynamic, so. I'm really excited about that. And I love the prospect of like being in a new facility and kind of like making it my own and like bringing everything that I've learned of all my years in the industry of like how to kind of meld that all into one. Um, So I'm really excited to see where I can help push the production and what I can learn from Leah. I think she reminds me a lot of Nicole and kind of like her desire to be more of like a mentor relationship. And that's kind of what I've always wanted to work towards is like finding someone that can really help hone in like the details of winemaking. you know, the intuition and the following your gut of like how to really make those decisions and make wine. You know, I know all of the processes of like how to do things and whatever, but um, you know, the nuances, I'm looking for someone to kind of help Help me find my own, you know, find my own way and find the nuances and see what she does and why she does it. So I'm really excited to learn her methods and her processes.
1: So you've talked a bit about the sort of the Oregon wine community uh, and 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 your work with it or kind of you're getting to know it. Obviously, not your, last year notwithstanding. <laughs> Tell me about the Oregon wine community. Um, what have you found here that that has that has excited you, and and and, what, and has it changed at all since you got here?
2: Yeah, what I think I love about it is the true sense of community. When I was in Paso Robles, um, you know, I grew up in that region. I knew a lot of people just because I grew up knowing them. Um, Nicole was great in taking me out around and introducing me to people. So. I always felt a lot of community there, you know, community in my social life and community within the industry. And there was always a sense of camaraderie. You know, it was like, I didn't work at Rhoda in like three years and I could call them up and be like, Hey, I need this. And they're like, yeah, come get it. You know? And there was a lot of like giving and a lot of sharing, which I've always appreciated, you know? and. As an intern there, you got to know the other interns, and it was kind of like a group mentality, and I really enjoyed that. And not to say that it was completely different in some of the other places that I've been, but um, I just saw it a little bit less. Like in Australia, I didn't see so much of a camaraderie, and you know, I knew the guys that I worked with, but like they didn't take us out to meet anyone else that worked in the industry. You know, they didn't really have friends that hung out in the industry. The other people that I met that they knew were People that did other stuff, so I didn't have that same sense of camaraderie. Um, New Zealand was a little bit different. It was, it was more, kind of that same feel. But um, I think that's what I love about Oregon is it has that same camaraderie. You know, even quickly, like my first vintage in eighteen here, I met so many people, and it was amazing to walk in and do a vintage. And after a couple of months, like. Kind of feel like you fell into a rhythm, and you know, going around town and seeing people that you know, and you know, having shared places and shared experiences, and um, kind of that same giving mentality. And like, you know, three years in, I still talk to the people, you know, everyone that I worked with at Sodor, I still talk to on a regular basis. You know, Chris has continued to be a great resource and a really great mentor as well. You know, I know that he's someone I can depend on and call upon, you know, and he called me when I was at Ponzi. It was like, we would call him for favors, he would call us for favors. And I think in 2020 Vintage, like watching everything that happened, it was like such a wonderful show of the camaraderie of the Oregon wine industry. You know, it was such an easy moment to like, again, just, shut down and not share with people what you were going through and try to be like no nothing happened like nothing I don't know what you're talking about but instead what I saw was people opening up their doors and being like come and taste what we have because this is what we're working with so this way you have an idea of you know like we're the first ones to pull fruit in from this area come and see what we've got and it helped Educate the other people in the industry, you know, Louisa reached out to a ton of her contacts and just called people you just call people Which is you know in in an age of like Google everything It's great to be surrounded by people where you can just call people and ask and find out what their opinions are their experiences and To not have to feel distrustful or suspicious of whatever it is They're telling you to know you can call someone and and they're just gonna tell it to you straight I think that's one of my favorite things about the industry here.
1: Well, obviously part of the part of the community here are all, all the different kind of organizations and, and nonprofits around Oregon Wine. And obviously uh, you're, you're hooked up now with mm-hmm. I avoid, which I'm formerly a board member of. Yeah. Um, tell me about how you came to know about it and, and, and your work with it so far and, and kind of what you hope to get out of it.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. This is like, ugh. Another one of the reasons that I love being in Oregon so much is to be a part of iVoy. It wasn't something that I have seen in any of the other regions or that I've heard about anywhere else. Um, It was, uh, let's see, I first heard about it at Assemblage. In what was that? Was that 2020? It was 2020. Oh my goodness! Like a Thousand Madness. years ago? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that was like seven years ago, right? Um, yeah. Awesome Blage in 2020. Uh, I remember seeing Sophia speak and just being completely blown away and being like, wow, this is a really cool program. This is something I want to be involved with. Uh, and again, it was one of those pushes out of my comfort zone where I like really forced myself. I was like, this is something I'm I'm really excited about. I'm gonna go talk to her, which is not something I normally do. I don't. I try not to approach people too much but i was like okay i have to i have to do this and so i went and i talked to her you know i had a coworker in mind that i thought would be great for the program and perfect and it would be um beneficial for everyone involved so i just went and chatted with her and was like i'm thinking you know i think i've got a coworker. do you guys have spots available and she was like yes you know she gave me her email we chatted a little bit and kind of that was that um and again so thankful to louisa she's always been really supportive of kind of my interest in pushing, you know, in that sort of direction, those initiatives. So we were able to get one of the vineyard um, stewards from the Ponzi Vineyard team into the first uh, Ivoy session, which was awesome. We got to watch him go through it. And, um, you know, Louisa shares the interest in kind of partnering with Ivoy as much as possible. And so, you know, I reached out to Sophia again in 2021, asking if there was, there was anything that Ponzi could do, you know, just wanted to be a part of it. If we could offer support, if we could offer wine, if they needed a donation, you know, whatever they needed in support, we were wanted to be there for them. Um, and Sophia ended up asking if we could host the graduation. And we were like, yes, we would love to. Let's look at COVID restrictions, but yes, <laughs> you know, and so we kind of navigated that. They ended up going, they had already planned with Argyle or something, whatever had happened. Um, but we ended up being able to ha- host them and they did a session you know the, the last class did a session where they watched some panel and then they got to do a tour and you know so they got to come on site which was great unfortunately I was out of town for it so I missed the whole thing um, but just being able to be a part of it was really really fun for me um, my mom is Mexican I'm half Mexican um, and that's a part of my identity that I hold really dear um, because we lost a lot of our culture growing up I don't I don't have a lot of the culture that follows through in my life but it's something that means a lot to me and um, you know at every winery I've worked at other than international places where I haven't been able to work with any Hispanic people really but every time I every winery I've worked at there's been you know people that I've been able to bond with and connect with um, Hispanic people that I've really enjoyed that have always just kind of taken me under their wing and taught me everything that they could and they've been so instrumental in in pushing my career forward. And I want to be as useful to that community as I possibly can be. Um, So it was such a great opportunity. And uh, Sophia ended up emailing back and being like, I think she emailed Louisa even and was like, is Emily interested in getting involved? Like, we've got committees, like, I'd really like to get her into this. And Louisa CC'd me back on and was like I think she'd like to Emily what do you think and I was like yes please yes please I'd love to Uh, so she got me on the marketing committee which has been so much fun and really exciting you know and it's still new and I'm still trying to get my bearings of what I can really do and what I can offer but it's something that I find um, a lot of fulfillment in Mm -hmm. that I really want to be involved with as much as possible so I got to do you know I got to do the I got to drive in the Pride Parade at Remy Wines for the Ivoy and um, you know we're, I'm helping with the silent auction that we've got coming up in September. And it's such a fun opportunity to reach out and really kind of solidify the community that I've built for myself and reach out to all of the friends that I have now and you know know these people and know them as friends and know that they're loving and giving and see them want to kind of come together and support this same cause that I feel really passionate about. So it's been a ton of fun.
1: How's the battery? Good. Okay. Um, so we talked a little about kind of what you've seen as part of Oregon Wine. Tell me about the future of the industry from your perspective. Obviously, you don't, you don't have to be a historian here, you don't have to know all, <laughs> know all see all. <laughs> what, what's what's as, as the industry's coming out of the pandemic, coming off of a really rough harvest, tell me about what 2021 looks like so far to you and what you kind of see the industry looking like over the coming years.
2: Yeah. Um, I think to me, Oregon wine industry is like total resilience. I totally see us bouncing back. Um, I see us kind of rolling with the punches and continuing to prove that we know what we're doing. We've got great experience. We're in a great region, we make beautiful wines and we're gonna continue to do so no matter what happens. I think with 2020, you know, there's gonna be wines that are gonna come out and some of them are gonna be a little rough because that's the reality of the situation. And, you know, I hope that people can be understanding that that's to no fault of the growers or the winemakers and anyone behind production. That's just what we've had to work with. And I think we're still gonna see some really beautiful wines come out of it albeit different from what we would usually get for a vintage, but, but beautiful in their own right, you know, something unique, something different. Um, but yeah, I see us continuing to move forward and rolling with it and making something amazing moving forward, you know. Obviously, we hope for not another smoky vintage. Uh, again, the reality of the situation, pretty likely we'll continue to have smoke-infected vintages. Um, that seems to be the way the world is moving. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited to see at the new prospects, you know, with climate change and seeing how it moves forward and and what we start planting and you know what the future of the Willamette Valley could be. Um, I don't know. I think some people are like, no, we're gonna we're gonna maintain our Pinot and. I think Pinot will always have its place here, but I'm excited to see what we can work with going forward and what comes in anew and you know, we've put our name on the map with Pinot Noir and I'm excited to see what we can put on the map next.
1: Since you're since you're just getting started in the industry and have kind mm-hmm. of a long, hopefully a long career ahead of you to look forward to, <laughs> fingers crossed. Is there something you're you're looking forward to a change or uh, something new the industry could do that you're looking forward to? And, and on the other hand, is there anything that you're kind of afraid of in the future as you as you look ahead here in Oregon?
2: Hmm. Um. I think I'm naturally a relatively optimistic person, I think.
1: Cautiously optimistic.
2: <laughs> Cautiously optimistic, exactly. I'm gonna have to get that tattooed on somewhere, <laughs> huh? Um, I, don't, I don't have a ton of fears. Um, I try not to kind of live in the mentality of fears. I think my biggest fear is, you know, seeing what happens with smoke, continuing on and on and on. Um, but an opportunity for learning and an opportunity for growth and so much education can come from that, which is great. Um, I guess that would be my biggest fear. Um, what was the other half?
1: Looking forward to.
2: Looking forward to, yeah. I think what I'm looking forward to the most is more programs like Ivoy, you know, more programs that promote and push um, inclusivity and equity within our industry. You know, it's an industry that's been built on the backs of a lot of white men, you know, coming forward. and. I'm excited as I see more and more women get involved in the industry, more and more people of color. Um, and I'm really excited to see what IVOY can do in promoting people that are the backbone of our industry. If we did not have all of these workers in our vineyards, we could not make wine. And to see them finally hopefully get the recognition that they deserve and the respect that they deserve and a more equal opportunity for them to move up in the industry if they want to. If they want to be a winemaker, they should be a winemaker, and I'm excited to hopefully be a part of moving that forward.
1: Let's talk about your own future then, since mm-hmm. we've talked about the industry's future, obviously <laughs> just starting off on a new, on a new uh, career here. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you looking ahead to for yourself, uh, both in the industry and perhaps beyond?
2: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> for myself. Um, You know, I want to keep moving on the trajectory that I'm on right now. I think, you know, eventually one day winemaker, that would be great. You know, I'd love to work at something like Stolo. I always come back to Stolo. It was uh, the winery of my heart. I always call it. Um, So something like that, something small, something with a state fruit. That would be great. Something I could really sink my teeth into and get really involved with. Um, But I think the main thing I want to do moving forward is to just continue to get more involved with the community. Um, Being a part of Ivo is, like I said, so fulfilling for me. And if I could continue to, you know, be someone that brings the community together and continues that kind of camaraderie, I would love to be as involved in the industry as a whole as possible, as opposed to kind of hiding out in a cellar. I, I wanna, you know, like I've said, the people are the most important part for me. I think it's it's what matters the most to me and it's what keeps me in this industry is the people that I continue to meet have been absolutely life-changing. So that's what I want to keep kind of focusing on is bringing people together.
1: Not to put you on the spot or anything, yeah. but is, is Oregon the future for you? <laughs>
2: oh man, my mom's gonna watch this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think for a while, yeah. I think for now, um, for now it's been great. For now I have no reason to turn my back and walk away from this industry right here in Oregon. Um, It's given me so much. I've enjoyed it so much. It's really becoming a second home. I'm going on three years, so I'm doing pretty good. Um, So I think as long as I'm happy here, you know, and as long as I have the means to go home as often as I can, then I'll be okay. Um, for quite a while. My dad's pushing for a full time commitment. I'm not quite there yet. I think, you know, California's always going to tug at me for a while. So we'll see, but for now, for now, definitely. That's
1: an excellently political answer. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. <Very>
2: <laughs> Got to keep my mom happy. <laughs>
1: If uh, someone were to come to you uh, and ask for your words of wisdom or your advice on getting into the industry, particularly getting into a production role, Mm -hmm. um, tell me, what what would you tell them?
2: (sighs) My best advice, I think, would be to take every opportunity you can. No job is too little in this industry. You really got to start at the bottom. I sure as hell have. I've cleaned a lot of drains, cleaned a lot of floors, done a lot of bottom of the barrel work. But I think the flip side to that is to absolutely know what you're worth and know that you know sure you're doing dirt work but you should always get paid for it you should always be compensated appropriately you know this is still somewhat skilled labor you know it's still you know we deserve it we we work really hard in this industry you know i think it's always important to keep in mind um i just watched your interview with mordecai from the other week and i worked with him at Sodar. he's great so it's really fun to watch um But he kept circling back to, you know, we're just making wine. And it's true. We're just making wine. We're not saving lives. Um, Doesn't mean we're any less passionate about it, which is huge. But, you know, take every opportunity you can. Ask as many questions as you can. That's what's really pulled me through. And absolutely know your worth.
1: An excellent answer. Thank you. Um, all the questions that I have for you today—is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here that we should have covered?
2: Mm, nothing I know of. Right. feel pretty good.
1: All right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm. Wonderful stories. Your thoughtful answers. Thank and we'll go you. Ahead and let you off the hook.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast, and thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody. Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. Special thanks to all the Linfield Archives students who have assisted on our oral history interviews.